Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Hello everybody and welcome to our 53rd Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends GLT Book Club session. We are absolutely thrilled today to be joined by Sam Strickland um, to be and we're going to be talking about his most recent book The Behaviour Manual and if I'm honest it is one of those areas that I know is hugely vital and important to the work we do in schools but as our, my own career progression has been more curriculum based, it is also very much outside of my own experience, which means it's even more important what we're talking about today, that it, it helps me and, and others like me to be able to do that. So I'll, I'll, I'll briefly introduce you, Sam. There's so much you've done. And then we'll go over to Dave, who, as usual, will explain the what, the why and the how obvious reasons why we chose this book but the section we talked about and we're thrilled to be, to be joined by Dean mm. Ackland as well who um, has a wealth of experience in this area and he's done work in our schools and across our trust on behavior and safeguarding at the same time so thank you so much for joining us Dean Ackland and thank you so much Sam Strickland so thank Sam you. Strickland I think this is your third book so far. You started your career in history. You went through the route um, of being a head of history and classics. Absolutely fascinating. But then you also moved on to working for a skit consortium. You've been an assistant head for sixth form, post 16. You've been a vice principal and you've overseen aspects such as student care, curriculum, behavior. You've had um, a safeguarding uh, lead role for an entire trust as well, mm. which as as the landscape is shaping in, in education, that's becoming more and more um, common, but also a newer landscape for everybody to be navigating and, and to be aware of. So many other things, uh, a lead facilitator for MBQ, NPQSL, you've had a huge impact on outcomes in the schools that you've worked in, you've had commendations from um, Nick Gibb, the SSAT, the DFE, I could go on Sam for the entire <laughs> hour on all of the incredible things I don't things know who you're talking about. <laughs> um, but it's just it helps for those who haven't yet come across your brilliant work or seen your tweets as at Stricomaster on Twitter to know that you're talking from a, 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 you're talking from experience as somebody who's been out there, lived it. You've worn your own shoes down as a member of SLT, <laughs> um, walking around the school and, and the difference and the impact it makes on the communities that we serve and, and our colleagues and obviously most importantly, our students. So thank you so much for your time this afternoon. You're Pleasure. a head teacher at the moment, which means that, you know, it, you have incredibly busy days and hugely grateful because as I said this is an area that I know mm. there's a lot more yet for me to learn about and I need to be uh, more confident and competent in talking about it as well and what your book gives is that shared language and understanding to be able to hold those conversations so Dave over to you now um God you've chosen an absolutely cracking few sections for us today thank you Dave 
Oh, no problem at all. And I'll, I'll be honest, I could have chosen um, tens of sections in here. There's so much to go through that I just want to dig deeper about and understand. But um, particularly excited about this session. Um, we're working within the Greenshaw Lending Trust. We're very uh, fortunate that um, we are we are working in um, what I would describe as dis disruption-free classrooms. We are mm -hmm. we are able as teachers to really get on with the the thinking behind the planning and and the, the job that we do as as teachers. So we I feel really fortunate, but it has meant that in our book club we've not talked lots about behaviour. Um, and and in that, as our book club has grown, it feels it's such an important topic, it's such an important conversation to have that it just feels like um, we need to have this. And this book is is just. Um, absolutely perfect to, to spark so many different um, sort of avenues of, of conversation for us. Um, I've, I've thought of behaviours, I'm reading this book, but previously as well as, as these sort of, you know, these, these two sections, you've got the consistency, um, making sure that your routines are really sharp, making sure that you, uh, the students know exactly what's expected of them, that clarity, that concise language that you would use with them. Mm. Um, and um, and how you transition as well, the strong start you'd have, and and that consistency and those routines are so incredibly important in um, build, building a culture um, within the mm. school where where students know exactly what it is that they're they're expected to do, and they can achieve then um, their, their their aspirational um, targets. Um, but but also it's about knowing your your pupils, and you have a section in in the book about knowing your pupils too, mm. and. And you say, well, well, it seems a rather obvious point to make is one that often can be overlooked. And, and I feel like as I started personally looking at the consistency, um, that's something that I can miss. And as I start to really get to know more pupils, I can sometimes then um, lose a little bit of that consistency. And, and that's something which I think is a constant um, sort of thing for me personally to be reflecting upon. But, but those are the two sections which, which mm. I sort of talk about. But then as we started looking a little bit more, um, just reading through your contents in the book, um, there are so many other aspects to be thinking about in terms of making the behaviour and the culture within the, the setting that you teach um, that of which um, learning can take place at, at the maximum mm -hmm. level. And, and so, so I, just, I just think we could, as I say, talk about anything. The way the book sets out, um, the, little, the little sort of two-page um, section of, of a little bit, uh, just one paragraph writing about um, what, what that section is about with some key approaches and then a warning with some advice followed. I just think the way it's set out is so easy to follow. And, uh, and so that's what, I mean, gives it the title behavior manual, I guess, but it's, it's something which I have in, on my desk to the side. And whenever I'm thinking something's not quite working here, I'm into the contents, I'm into that page. And then I go, that's the warning. That's what I've been doing. Or, or that's a piece of advice that I need to follow. And, and nine times out of 10, I walk away and I go, wish I had that book you know, 10 years ago um, where, where I could just as an early career teacher 20 oh, years ago, being generous to myself aren't I 20 years ago as an early career teacher I think I need <laughs> but yes um Sam thank you so much for joining us I'm incredibly excited to learn more from you um but I didn't know if there's anything you wanted to share about where the books come from or what's all your thoughts because obviously people are here to talk to you yeah no absolutely i mean i mean the thinking behind the book and you lose the fact a few minutes ago or, or both of you did this is my third book the other two are more probably geared towards um thinking about school improvements and senior leadership in a broad sense although those books are, are equally applicable to, to anyone of any level within the profession this is probably the book i should have written first actually it's the area i am most passionate about because i do believe that behavior makes the biggest difference um, ultimately in our schools to, to school improvement. And, it, and if behaviour isn't right, and, and I think about my own school setting where I am at the moment, when I joined Dustin as the principal here, uh, and we're a large all through school of 2,000 pupils, 200 staff, 
it was uh, it was a school in real trouble. And I could have talked about curriculum. I could have talked about teaching and learning. I could have talked about pedagogy, all the lovely stuff. And staff probably would have laughed at me and just said, but the kids don't behave. So what's the point? Yeah, it's just fads, isn't it, Sam? You know, you, you, you take control of this school. Um, uh, so, so I do, you know, really, really strongly believe that that behaviour, if it's not where it needs to be, you've got to. to it sounds really crude. Crack that nut first at a school level, a departmental level, or year group level, so satellite level, but also at the subject teacher level as well. And there's a real interplay between all those different bodies that make up the school to ensuring that behaviour actually is driven forward. But first and foremost, it, it starts with the heads of the school if the head doesn't take it seriously doesn't make it the priority you, you can't sort behavior you, know, you can't do it as a silo within a school on your own as a as just a classroom teacher because it would just be your own micro classroom culture that may well be positive comparative to, to what else is going on across the school um but the book itself what i wanted it to be was um i guess a bit of have a haynes manual style bible guide for anybody in this profession at any level to really just consider the importance of, and it's more than just behaviour, actually. I probably should call this the behaviour and culture manual because it, it does transcend into school culture because behaviour is a manifestation of school culture and vice versa. But teaching learning is also in there as well because there are teaching and learning strategies that I reference that help to support strong behaviour and to teach behaviour. Um, but I, want, I deliberately wanted each strategy to be no more than roughly two pages with a clear kind of explanation of what it is, some advice about how you can implement it or um, some thought points and an advice and a warning kind of guide. Um, because I wanted it to be something that, that, that you know, colleagues can easily pick up off the shelf, run with an idea, trial it uh, and then come back to it again and again and again. I didn't want this to be a book that was flowery, full of verbose language, that was um, unwieldy, wordy, which so many education books are. And I don't mean that as a criticism. They serve their place. But I wanted this book to be very, very different uh, and to serve exactly as what it says on the tin, a manual, a guide that you could pick up and put down. You could read the whole thing from cover to cover or you could literally just read one strategy and trial it. And I guess my my health warning actually to colleagues and probably more inexperienced colleagues is, just take one or two strategies and trial them uh, and trial them over a period of time before you then try something else. But trial them to the point where you've actually got them embedded before you then run with the next thing. Uh, because it, that, the other side is to, it's really easy to become overloaded, cognitive overload here, of trying 15 different things at once and then thinking, well, none of these work. Uh, you know, why do none of them work? Because you've not given any one particular thing the time and the credence that it deserves. So, so the book ultimately is, is to try and help the profession. Um, and I don't mean that in a sort of sycophantic X Factor style, um, you know, sort of response here, <laughs> but it but it was deliberately crafted so that it's easy to read. And and where time's finite, and I, I know that. I, you know, as you said, I've, I don't want to blow my own trumpet. I'm experienced. I've I've done this game for a long time. We don't have time. We don't have to, time. Is not on our side. So I wanted something that's quick, short, sharp, and easy to use. And that was the aim of behind the book. And I hope it's done that for people. I mean, I think 100% it's done that for people because as I'm looking um, through myself, I'm getting that um, for myself, but I'm also able in my role as a mentor to help other people within my setting. Um, and then as I recommend, I see other people just reading the book, having it by their side too. And it is just like that little pocket manual that you can just pick up and, and take those. 
even if it's just a little paragraph that says the one and the advice straight away into something you can try um but it's like a little troubleshooting um book as well so mm -hmm. when something isn't quite working um you can go through and think well, what part of that uh, maybe maybe isn't working so well. Um, I mean, we we picked um, some, some sort of sections to look at, but I'm I'm just going through and, and sort of thinking about um, my experience uh, personally at the moment. And I didn't know, um, Dean, you might be able to join in on this too, because um, at Blaze High we've uh, we've been fortunate enough to um, to see one of Dean's colleagues, uh, Nat Navarro, who's come along uh, with uh, an exceptional eye on behaviour. Um, yeah. Going around Gloucester Academy, where he's come from, um, where Dean's worked with him, um, he's you, you could just you could feel the the positivity. Um, the mm. students were were really really responsive to um, to the instruction and uh, in in a really positive way. Um, the, the students just smiling. The, the corridors were free of students. You had students in the classroom paying attention. And, and when the students were out to do something, it happened straight away. And but it happened with a warmth. And and I was just fascinated to watch a transition um, around Blaze High. And and one thing. In particular, that I, that's standing out for me is the use of microscripts and mm. uh, sort of giving um, the teachers a, a very consistent message um, that we can use with our students to to help them to to understand um, the expectations and why they're there as well. Um, mm. So that's something that's really stood out for me in, in the initial experience. But but again, with that warts, so they have a, a card which we carry around, um, which they carry around with them, where um, you would you would sign if, if there was a behaviour that wasn't. Um, followed um, but at the same time um, it'll be signed for, for lots of positive um, experiences that the, the students would um, have or, or, or show um, so for example picking up litter or uh, it might be just just smiling having that conversation helping others and and you get these signatures um, going on this card and they're collecting them like they're they're like really really valuable um, things to them and, and they just seeing that reward and seeing that that joy um, the culture um, within our academy is, is exceptional at the moment and, and I just didn't know whether there's anything in particular about sort of you know the microscripts or, or you know that sort of approach which which you, you wanted to comment on whether in the book there's something you could guide us to which would help us to further understand why that's working as well yeah i, I think about my own school setting we've deliberately got um, a classroom code of conduct which is up in every single room across the school so so we have a very simple behavior system um ultimately built around three key classroom rules in effect we call it a code of conduct but they're linked to our school values and i'm a real firm believer that everything's got to come back to what your school is about your mission statement your vision your values the virtues that you stand for that allows you to then really justify the why this is why we're doing it that's the hearts and minds stuff we're not doing it mindlessly just because we can uh, or because we want to be draconian or, or or whatever but there is a purpose behind why we do what we do but those three clear rules that are on display, I mean, they're, they're really, really simple. They're based around respecting the teacher and following instructions without question. And we're talking simple things like turn to, to your partner and talk to your partner, turn to page five, things that we should be able to take for granted. But actually in schools where the culture isn't right, kids will argue over those things. You know, I don't want to turn to page five. I don't want to work with them. I don't want to sit over there. The, the, the second um, part of our code of conduct is to arrive fully equipped on time. You know, there shouldn't there shouldn't be a, a, you know, an exception to that unless you've been talking to you know, to me or whoever. Yeah, but yeah, but the norm is you should be on time, fully equipped, ready to learn uh, with your homework completed. Uh, and then the third aspect of our code of conduct is to do the, to complete the work to the, the best of your ability. But the important bit here is without distracting others. We have what we call the natural state in lessons. And we talk really clearly to pupils and staff about there being two natural states in, in, 
in lesson time. Talking or no talking. So either we are in silence or the teacher has given you permission to speak about the work. I don't mind which in terms of which the teacher picks, but we don't have those 50 different kind of shades of grey of, I guess the key word here is quiet, because I don't understand what quiet means. I think if you were to sit, you know, 50 people, in a, you know, 50 adults in a room together, what does the word quiet mean? We probably couldn't agree. And I see so many times in schools I go to, we, and sometimes we get it in our own school, you know, I'm not going to be arrogant here enough to say we've yeah, we're, we're, we're pitch perfect all the time. But you get the, can I have a bit of quiet now, please? And the noise level kind of bubbles. And then suddenly it bubbles back up again. And you think, it, this is a meaningless phrase. But the idea with this, this classroom code of conduct is if a pupil falls foul and doesn't do what we, what we expect, and we're so explicitly clear with what we want, then the pupil is given a behaviour point by the member of staff. But this, the, the, the teacher can use the wording that's on the wall as a script to engage with the children. They've not had to memorise the script. It's there for them on the wall and it becomes depersonalised. So we're not saying to, you know, to Johnny, it's always a Johnny, Johnny, you're behaving like a prat or you're behaving like an idiot. It's quite a personal kind of emotive way of dealing with children. It's, you know, Johnny, you're not behaving in line with our classroom code of conduct and our expectations. You've fallen foul. You know, the behaviour you've exhibited isn't appropriate. That depersonalises it. So nine times out of ten, Johnny can't then have an emotive response back. It's more a case of I've let the, you know I've let you down. I've got this wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure one time out of ten, someone will still try and flare up, but it mitigates against that as much as is humanly possible. In terms of how our, our system works as a school, if I get one behaviour point, that's kind of my warning for the day. My second behaviour point then means I'm in a same day centralised detention after school, and the more behaviour points I kind of ratchet up, the longer. I'm in that after school detention for the, the, the narrative and the way in which we've narrated this to pupils and to staff is that then behavior becomes a choice for 99 percent of our school community. But, you know, once I've got my first warning, and actually we shouldn't get the first warning, that first behavior point, because we should know how to behave. We've we've been through it so many times. But kids fall foul. We get that. Um, it then becomes a choice. You are you, Johnny, are putting yourself in detention. So the, my teachers are not issuing sanctions. They're issuing behaviour points, but actually the behaviour point is a consequence of your poor behaviour decisions. But that scripting is there, so staff have got a depersonalised script to fall back onto that we're always kind of staying in tune with what we're about as the mothership of the, you know, <coughs> the school. But I do, yeah, I do think scripting is important. How how prescriptive your scripting is is variable from one school to the next. I appreciate different schools have got different views on this. Um, we haven't scripted everything to the nth degree, but we've got guiding principles around systems and processes and protocols. So we've, we've got a very clear principle around lesson entries and lesson exits. The bookends are lessons, which which can certainly the, the back end of a lesson, the last seven minutes can often be forgotten. Um, you know, the bulk of how the lesson is delivered is is up to a teacher. But we do have, I suppose, this is where we're going to I'm going to contradict myself and sound prescriptive now. A very clear workbook approach as a school, which star all staff within any given subject domain will use as the fulcrum and vehicle for for their their classroom delivery. So I, I'm in tune with, with what you guys are about here in terms of yeah. the importance of routines and scripts. Yeah. They, they are important. And Some class cognitive overload to, to think about the, the, yeah. the right, right stuff. Sorry, sorry, Dean. That's oh, right. So quick question. So. Do you spend time, if you like, we've had a discussion with our, with our colleagues, with Ofsted last week, 
around sort of teaching behaviour, the taught behaviour curriculum. Do you spend time with your new students and give them reminders on the expectations? And and I know if you look at uh, the, the strictest headmistress and, you know, we look to the big smoke and, and they, they talk about, you know, we have them in for two weeks, we train them mm. to walk the corridors. What sort of level do you go down to so that when, you know, your ECT yeah. comes in, how much of those students ready if you like to coach to behave properly? Yeah, no, absolutely. Brilliant question. And so our brand new pupils in year seven, we go with those first. Um, what we do with those is we have a three day transition event in the, the summer term and we're careful how we badge this, of course. We don't want it to sound like, a, I don't want to be critical here, like a boot camp. But ultimately, it's the acclimatisation to the school. And we will teach them routines. So we will teach them how to line up at the start of the day because we start with morning lineups. I know other schools do that. We will show them how the one-way system in our school works and which side of the corridor to walk on as they navigate that one-way system. We will um, go through and rehearse and practice with them how to enter a classroom, how to say good morning to a member of staff, how to shape answers, how to um, to pitch their answers up so they're actually giving a loud, clear, confident answer in lessons. The importance of manners. I, I imagine very similar things to what to yourselves know what, from what I know of your trust. To be fair, but yeah, we do we do train them um, in the in that that initial window before they join, and then deliberately in September at the start of the academic year, we bring the brand new year seven in before we bring in any of the year group. Year 12 have got an induction day while the year sevens are brought in and then year 13 have an induction day while the year sevens are brought in. No other year group is in the school. And it's almost, if I'm honest, a rehash of the three days they had in the summer because they forget things. We all do. And it's a recalibration and a, a bit of a reboot, if, I, if I'm really honest, about expectations, values and norms. What we then know is that before those kids then go into classrooms, they've had the direction from the mothership. They've had it from me actually, because a lot of it is delivered by me. This is what I expect. This is if you were to chop me in half, what bleeds out in terms of my values, principles, morals, rules, routines, non-negotiables. You cross the line on this. This is what will happen. They're ready to go. What that means then for staff is the first, the minute they pick up those year sevens in their lessons, we do, yes, each teacher needs to outline expectations, but they don't need to have an hour long lesson, which is a lecture of, you know, I'm Mr. Strickland and these are my expectations in my classroom because the kids know what they are and they're on display every, in every single room across this school. To my mind, the best expectation is to get them straight into the learning and build the, the in, kind of intricate learning behaviours that you want for science, for PE, for drama, for history into the activities that you're trying to to build into your lessons into in terms of your lesson delivery where i would expect maybe a front loading of expectations would be a science lesson if they're using practical equipment design technology if they're using you know the drills um you know art if they're using a, a craft knife you know those kind of things you've got to that's health and safety and you you basically you're you're hiding to nothing in a, you know, in a huge way if you don't do that other pupils so that's that's our brand new pupils, existing established pupils that are part of this school. Well, we start every um, half term off with recalibration assemblies. You know, it's a welcome back. It's a reminder by me. Hello. Hope you had a lovely holiday. But a reminder, we're here to learn and a reminder of expectations, values and norms. Sometimes that's really explicit and just as plain as that. These are our values. A reminder. Sometimes I do it through stories. 
because children can affiliate or pupils can affiliate to stories and associate to stories, but then draw out and tease out, you know, in that story I've just given you, the undertone is, you know, they behaved, they did X, Y, Z, which is what we do here at Dustin. So, and then every single day, our day starts with lineups, unless it's chucking it down with rain. And they're a recalibration as well. So for argument's sake, yesterday afternoon, year eight misbehaved. I'm making this up, but I'm not. Um, you know, straight away, off the bat, first thing, I, I've been made aware, or I've seen through my own observations, walking the school site, your behaviour wasn't where it needed to be yesterday as a year group. Our expectations are here. You know, 99.9% .9 of you get, get it to here all the time. The other 1% of you, you've got to you know, up your game because we've seen you, you, it fell apart yesterday for whatever reason. So it's a, it's a recalibration, it's a reminder. Brilliant, thank you. Um, just one thing there, Saz, is coming into my mind now. Do you get much pushback from your uh, your parents and carers? The one, we, you know, we yeah, use Johnny yeah. again. Johnny's got his fourth <laughs> behaviour point. You know, we did in the earlier you know, you're days. Going to test in that. Yeah, I mean, in the first kind of phase of because um, the school's been on a real journey, the school was in an absolute mess when yeah. I took over five and a half, six years ago. It was in the bottom 20% nationally. It was a double RI school and it was on an express elevator to being a special measures school and, and you know, no, no longer having control over its destiny. But obviously, when you, you first join a school that's in, in that kind of state and you're trying to make seismic changes, You've got established, ingrained parents who, you know, some think great, someone's taking hold of the school and some will say, no, nah, no, it wasn't what I signed up for. And there's a few parents who have to take to the cliff edge and basically, without using the exact words, if you don't like this school, find somewhere else. The intimation has been very clear. If you don't like what we're doing, you need to find a different school. Um, I mean, we're in a really fortunate position. We're heavily oversubscribed as a school. Uh, but but equally, and this week is case in point, we have an open week for prospective parents looking to choose the school whereby parents come in um, for one of a, a series of 10 different talks that happen in the school day and tours of the school. And most of my talk is geared around don't choose this school. If you want a strict school that's got clear systems, clear rules, clear routines, this is not the school for you. Don't pick it. Go somewhere else. In the nicest of senses, uh, you know, on a, unapologetically, I'm very much this is what we're about. This is our values, our norms, our processes, our procedures. I go through our non negotiables, I go through our, uh, our basic expectations around classroom rules and the centralized approaches that we have. And we'll confiscate a mobile phone for a week, including a weekend if it's seen out and about. So, you know, that as part of your decision making, and then actually, and it sounds harsh, but it's not. If we ever get pushback from parent X, you know, mid-September, you've confiscated my child's phone. I don't like that. The pushback is, well, you chose this school. You knew what we were about from the word before you even put you, you know, us down as one of your three preferences. You knew. So why did you pick us? And then I, I feel you know, confident and strong enough to, to be able to go there in that regard. And, and was there a turning point when you thought, yeah, we've nailed the culture. The culture is now what my vision was. Did you have that like eureka moment? Yes, we've got it. Yeah, it's a really weird one. And this isn't meant as a fudge response. The first full term in post, I deliberately, so this, I joined in April of 2017. I deliberately took my time over everything, which was a really bold thing to do, if I'm honest, because the school was in such a mess. And I was information gathering, but also trying to win hearts and minds of staff, 
also to train staff explicitly in everything that we wanted before it went live. And, and I'm sure there's other people that have transformed schools that relate to this. You can actually transform the culture once you go live with whatever it is you're going to do. Within three or four days, you can see it flip 180 on its head. What then takes time is to then embed that change. So it just becomes habitual. But we found in September of 2017, within three days of that first week in school, things had just shifted on their head in a way that they hadn't done before in terms of how the school had been led and managed and its fortunes. Um, but I would argue it probably took a full year for that to then really embed properly. Um, and you know, not trying to paint a sob story, but the, the cohort that went through that year were predicted minus 1.8, uh, which I just, when I, when I heard this from the data manager, this is the year 10 I assumed had basically 14 months to do something with. I just went ashen. I was an associate principal elsewhere and got minus you know, 0.7. So this was kind of a, what on earth is this all about? The average grade on entry into, into year 10 was 2.7 uh, in terms of the data systems, however accurate they were. But I think it was fairly believable because the predictions were so dire. Um, but we got that cohort to minus 0.3, which is nothing to write home about at all publicly. Uh, but internally, a huge sigh of relief because we got that cohort over the line and basically engaged in a rescue operation. I think the bit where I felt we kind of hit our groove was probably the autumn of 2019, whereby we'd had kind of a year and a half of my you know, way of doing things and my senior team really getting it, middle leaders getting it, subject teachers getting it, where we felt we we're really in, in the groove. Um, and we'd, we'd just come off the back. Uh, that's some of our best ever results in the school's history, which saw us as the 27th most improved school in the country and, and in the top 5% nationally at A-level. That's probably the point where I felt that we'd really made seismic shifts, both culturally in terms of behaviour, but also culturally in terms of curriculum, in terms of how that was working, because we had to rip up the curriculum that was in place. It was heavy skills uh, biased when I joined and we shifted the whole bias to a knowledge-rich curriculum. But again, as I'm sure you know, that takes time. And if you've got staff that want to know, but perhaps don't know, you've got to train them. And that takes time. And that's not meant in a, in a derogatory way to my staff. I think my staff are utterly brilliant and I, I'm really privileged to work with the people I do. But but getting them to that level that you want them to be at is not a quick fix. If it was, we'd all, we'd all have done it by now. Yeah. You say, is it two, I know it's 200 staff? How do you ensure then that they're all on the same page as you? How you know what do you do to QA that daily? Yeah. I've already you've already said you walk the school, and all of our you know senior leaders walk the school all day. Mm. How do you know that? Uh, I'm putting you on the spot now. How do you know no, all no, no, 200 no, no, no. are there going? Yeah, I I know behaviour in, in geography one to math three to science five is going to be the same. How yeah. do you quality store that? Yeah, so. Starting point is that I have a big senior team and that's, um, I guess, an ideological kind of stance I have um, is that the, the senior team in a big school needs to be a big senior team. And we're, we're ever present. There's always two, if not three of us that walk the corridors given any lesson. So it's 
as much as we all want to be ever present, there's a practical reality to our jobs, isn't there, as leaders, that you've got meetings, you've got safeguarding meetings, whatever it is, there's always a, there's something that pulls you away from, from being out there as much as you'd like to be. So, so there is a, uh, a collective team effort amongst my senior team of always being present, uh, you know, with at least two or three of us walking the corridors. That allows us to have a continual feel on just that kind of day-by-day -day acid test, litmus test, of what's going on. So there's that side, which is no different, I imagine, to what happens where you are. Uh, and with the same token, my pastoral leaders do exactly the same. So every year group supported by an assistant director of year that doesn't teach and a director of year that does. Um, the middle leaders are, are really well trained in curriculum and what to look for from a curriculum perspective, but they're also really well trained in terms of behavior. I, I'm gonna be really honest with you, they'll tell me really quickly if there's a problem. There, we've got su we've got such an open door policy and it's taken time to generate that because it was a broken school when I joined. There was a lot of distrust of leadership uh, and it takes time to earn that trust and it takes seconds to lose it. But I know if, you know, middle leader X knocks my door down literally and says year nine X one are, are terrorizing the ECT, there's a problem. That, so there's that level of transparency and honesty within the school as well which helps us to know what's going on um we do monitor i'm sure you know as, as as any other school will do the the behavior point system that we have in place but equally whilst we monitor it I, I, my caution here is to be careful what you kind of interpret by the use of data you know if behavior points are being used extensively what does that actually mean it might mean that someone's actually really consistently using the school behavior policy appropriately yeah. Uh, we have a very clear centralised system to behaviour, so we're able to pick up on clear patterns of misbehaviour, repeated patterns of misbehaviour. Uh, and through that, we're able to track if there are commonality issues, that it's always on a Wednesday five that we seem to have a surge of year nines causing us a problem. We do QA as well in a more formalised sense. Um, uh, and I don't know what you you guys do as a, as a, a trust and as a school, um, but we... Um, we have formalized curriculum reviews where we'll go in and look at the curriculum and we'll look at what's going on. But I appreciate they're a snapshot as well. I'm not daft to think that that's, you know, uh, enough as it were to go, oh, everything's fixed and everything's hunky dory or not. I think the big one is walking your school. And I think that's the one I place the most value on. Forget the clipboard, forget weighing the pig in terms of what goes on across your school. It's walking the school. It's having a proper relationship with staff, a professional working relationship with staff. And twice a year, every academic here, I deliberately meet with every member of staff one to one to talk about the school, to talk about them, talk about their professional development. And I actually ask them, can you tell me what I've got wrong this year? And we've got to the point where I think staff are pretty damn honest with me. Sometimes I have to really take it. You know, it's almost like a, a bending over and being hit from behind. But actually, if I'm going to ask the question and I want to know the answer, I've got to be able to handle it. Um, but staff will tell you, you know, this this small group of kids, these 12 are, are a big problem and no one's really dealing with it. You know, whatever it is, you, you know, they will tell you. And I suppose from that, it also means that if there are misinterpretations or there's an opportunity to have that additional line for the it might be somebody who missed some of the training on it and didn't mm. understand why the what and the why behind what was being done so 
Um, I, you know, I'm really fortunate that I work for a trust where we have centralized behavior mm. and I know I can, as a, as a stranger, because I'm not school-based yeah. at the moment, I work across the trust, I can go into classrooms and I can teach maths and I don't need to worry about that. And that might yeah. sound a really strange thing to say, but I came from somewhere where I thought I was doing well. I was in a, I was, I was a, a middle leader of a high perform mm. in a high performing school, um, and I thought I knew what I was doing around teaching. But so much of it was actually crowd was 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 crowd yeah. control. It was it was it was we'd be we'd been able to manage the culture behind mm. what students would expect when they walked into the maths block separate then to the climate of what was going on elsewhere in the school. Yeah. But as things started to erode, it was more and more the support, because it wasn't done centrally. It was, well, that's your issue to deal with. If that member of staff's got a yeah. problem, it's because yeah. their lessons aren't interesting enough. And, <laughs> and you don't realize what it can be like until you see it and experience it and work in it. Yeah. So when I joined Greenshaw, it was after it, it was at a school where they'd already gone through that first wave of training and, and explanation and the what and the why and the how. Mm. And very quickly, I realized, oh, wow, I actually need to plan for two lessons worth of work in comparison with what I used to do. And oh, yep. my goodness, I can, I can enjoy <laughs> my subject again because I'm being respected Absolutely. as the expert in the room rather than trying to contrive scenarios that the students might be interested in. and But it's yeah. now at the stage, Sam, that for me, if I was thinking of going elsewhere, actually one of the first things I'd look at is their approach to behaviour because I'd want yeah. to be able to do my job. It allows you to teach, doesn't it? And to teach properly. And we went through exactly the same journey as a school that once we shifted the behaviour system and shifted behaviour on its head, I had teachers saying, you know, the PowerPoint that took me three lessons now takes me 10 minutes. I've got to plan more. So there is a... In the initial phase, there's a negative consequence. And that sounds quite perverse because suddenly planning becomes a bit more intense and you've got to do more planning. But actually what you've taken away is, is the crowd control. You're no longer an entertainer. You're not having to entertain kids to get their attention and you're not having to spend almost half a lesson reprimanding pupils or using force of personality to control them. You can teach. And it allows our most inexperienced teachers to teach properly. And that's where they get to hone their craft. That's where they get to become really, really good teachers, not great behavior managers. They don't need to be great behavior managers. Yes, they need a toolkit of strategies. I wouldn't want to take that away from them and deprofessionalize them, but they could think about their subject. That's the fun stuff. You know, being able to debate whatever it might be in history. I'm a history teacher by trade. You know, why did it hit the kind of power? To me, it's far more fun and interesting and engaging than having to tell off four pupils who never listen to me because my behaviour system allows me to be in a position where they, they listen to me. The other bit that, that I didn't really reference and apologies is that constant walking of the school. I, when I, because we're able to pick up on issues in real time and we have, I'm probably, probably very similar to yourselves, a weekly briefing that isn't a briefing, it's a training session. I'm able then to redirect what those training sessions are. So if the strong starts in terms of our routines to learning aren't in place, I know that half the school aren't doing it properly. We've hit that November phase where everyone's tired and is being a bit lazy. That happens in schools. It's the big you know, jolt in the, in the staffing body's backside of we're letting our guard down. The minute we let our guard down, everything falls apart. Up your game. This is how we do a lesson starter. I'm going to remind you, just in case you've forgotten how to do it. 
for the 50 millionth time of me saying it. And, you know, I sound like a broken record. And, and I remember again, when I joined, one of my vice principals took me aside about four weeks in and said, are you feeling all right? Because in every public forum, you're saying the same thing over and over and over. I said, yeah, it's deliberate. It's not because I'm mental or have, have forgotten. It's actually because I'm trying to make the priority the priority. And it took a while for them to get that. But you have to do that. You have to do that. Yeah, I remember um, when I was speaking to people who are interested in being in senior leaders in our schools. I mean, the thing I say, because I think for some places it's a culture shock, for others it's the norm, is I say, get comfortable shoes because you're going to wear them down and be prepared to buy them regularly because that's when you know you're doing your job. <laughs> You know, you need to be up and about and, and, and walking, walking around your school and looking yeah. at what's going on and exactly what you said. And I and it, it's just brilliant. I think that, that that framing and you mentioned it yourself about it's not just behavior, it's the whole culture. Mm. And I know um, in our session with James Hanscom and he would say he would always talk about the same thing. Because that culture, that ethos, it underpins yeah. every single thing you do. So if you can intertwine those key strands all of the time, it just makes that message so much clearer for everybody mm. to have that shared understanding. And the, and I think it's also important, and you've mentioned it yourself, that you don't just start it and assume it's happening. You've trained right. staff and you have those regular sessions built in half-termly, that yeah. nudge culture. And if you're doing sessions, if you're doing assemblies, I'm assuming also at the same time, you've mm -hmm. got the staff who are also involved in the assemblies. Absolutely. So that, that message from you at the top is never diluted. No, and it is no. always consistent for everybody at every level. And I, that is so crucial. It's, it's really, really powerful, isn't it? Because if you leave those messages to, I'll give you an example of um, a practice I've seen whereby a PowerPoint slide is distributed to you know, a staffing body of 100 staff to read out at the start of every half term about school expectations. You're leaving that to chance because you're going to get such a bandwidth of, of how that's going to be interpreted and communicated or if it's going to be communicated and listened to by the pupils. It has to come from one person. And, it, and to my mind, it, it has to come from the head. The head has to direct this and own it. And it's no by no accident, really, in terms of the head teacher standards, that the head teacher is responsible for behaviour, culture, climate, ethos. That's there deliberately. It's your job. Uh, and going back to your question, Dean, about when did you feel you you know you kind of cracked this, so to speak? I remember again in that build-up to that kind of autumn of 2019 where we thought we had it. And I said to my senior team, we're going to come to a phase soon where things are going to become boring. They're going to become metronomic because we're just going to be doing the same thing all the time. You're on gate duty. You're on assembly duty. You're patrolling the school. You're on lunch duty. You're on after school duty. Not a lot's really happening because the kids are in lessons and learning. That's the point where you know we've kind of got it. But the minute we stop doing that, within about three weeks, it will do that, no matter how strong your school is. And I've worked in a truly outstanding school before, and it was exactly the same there it was metronomic it was like poetry in motion but if you took your foot off the gas no matter how outstanding it was six weeks probably it would if you let it if you let it and you left it because the certainty and the consistency of that presence suddenly disappears dissipates which i'm probably telling you what you already, already know well for me it reaffirms what we're doing is you know we're not in a silo there's other places doing it because often, you know, some of our schools, newer schools, ones we, you know, run for a real yeah. shift in, 
and you're getting the local press, the parents, you think, you know, the, the constant battle, but you know it's for the good of the good of those students to get the best outcomes. And it's hard, isn't it, when you're in that storm where you've got parents criticising you, the local rag is on your back. It, it could be really difficult to kind of hold your nerve and hold your ground. I mean, my view is just to completely ignore it <laughs> or to use it actually as positive PR. So when we get free, those free articles, we've, we've, we've had the, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had those articles, you know, strict school, blah, blah, blah. And just think, yeah, we are. If you don't like it, don't send your kids here. If you, if you value a, you know, a school that takes its business seriously, come and join us. So yeah, positive PR for free. Uh, I think it's really... as well, it's that um, sort of reiteration of, um, of that as you go through, as you're saying, I will say that so many times to my staff so that they've got that message, so they understand that culture, and it just becomes ingrained, it becomes habitual then um, to, to be following those systems and those processes and, and understand um, why you're doing it. You, you need to go through that um, sort of pressure. I guess it's a forgetting curve coming in a little bit for staff, isn't it, as well? It's, uh, yeah give me two weeks of you not giving me that message and all of a sudden I'm starting to forget why we're doing what we're doing and, and I'm just having that at the forefront of my mind every single thing that I do it just makes it so much easier for me and there's less thinking for me to do with why we're doing it I can then really concentrate on going through those uh, processes and making sure that the kids get the best and um, so I, I just want to ask one last thing before because we will be getting towards the end very soon here um, but there's a particular part of the book about safeguarding and, uh, and I thought that would just be interesting to talk about really quickly because um, I'll be one of those teachers that, that maybe um, feel a little bit rested, feel a little bit nervous about the, the amount of training I'd have in all of these mm. very specific scenarios and and so, so it's very easy uh, within our, our systems and processes to alert the safeguarding designated lead and, and to pass on those concerns and to yeah. think okay I'm going to do the minimum here, okay. I want to get it wrong and, um, and maybe not have that sort of you know proper role in, in what I need to do and you talk about building that culture in the book um, so that everybody feels that safeguarding is just, it's not just a little role for them, but everybody's really involved in that. And I was just wondering mm. in, so specifically you do for your staff or that you, you'd recommend that we think or do to be able to, to immerse ourselves and, and to, to be able to sort of, you know, be all safeguarding needs. I imagine what we do is, is probably going to echo and chime with what you do. I imagine it's quite similar. I, I know quite a bit about your trust from, a, from afar uh, and positive, positive. Um, but, I imagine very much like yourselves. We, we have at least one, if not two, half-termly training sessions for staff around safeguarding matters, whether it's um, you know, specific to the school. There's a bespoke issue that's come up that we're aware of for, through all of the, uh, the monitoring of, of safeguarding matters in the school, whether it's um, a Northamptonshire-wide issue. County lines is huge around here, probably similar, I imagine. Um, CSE is, is also huge, or whether it's a, a national issue as well so it's keeping that plate spinning really in terms of the training dare I say it very much like we do with behavior it's the repeated same messages uh, to remind staff to be confident to deal with uh, with safeguarding you know the this, this it's, it's going over the same triggers to be looking for in children so I think it's a lot of the, the same repeated messaging um, it's a difficult one isn't it to see to see if safeguarding slipped because if staff aren't coming forward with issues, how do you know? That's that's a really difficult grey area. Um, but what we have in terms of our kind of setup as a school, and it may well be similar to yourselves, every other school I've worked in has got maybe four, maybe five um, level two safeguarding trained people. And it's normally it's a tight little team. 
Um, and I've worked in one school, there's just three of us. Uh, and God, you know, it's a tall ask because a lot happens in, in any kind of school. Um, but we have kind of an army, um, maybe similar to yourselves, where my assistant directors of year, directors of year are all level two trained. My entire senior team is level two trained, um, as is, and we've built our own alternate provisions as school. Uh, my positive impact center, as we entitled it, all of those staff are trained as well. But what we have are weekly, this sounds very sort of Chinese gangsterish, and it's not meant to, triad meetings, whereby the, the year team duo with a, a senior leader overseer meet to talk about previous cases and new live cases that are coming online. But then everything is QA'd by my vice principal that's the DSL for the school. And we have a family liaison worker that works with him, who's kind of like a, a second in depart, second department, second in the team in terms of safeguarding. But there's regular safeguarding messages that are fired out to staff to keep that culture and climate of safeguarding at the forefront of all that we do. And I kind of joke with the staff, but it's not a joke. If there's nothing else we can do is keep the kids safe. And that's a recurring kind of mantra that I have. And it's a sort of a standing joke with my chair of governors. If that's the only thing we can do, at the very least, we just keep them safe while they're in our school building. But I guess it's similar to yourselves. It's a hard one because there's always something new, something you, you that just comes about, isn't there? I think about just in terms of internet safety and, and safeguarding on that front, there's always something new that, that takes us by, you know, by storm or, or, or strikes us kind of left field. Um, I know there's things we can potentially preempt. I mean, looking to this winter, I dread to think about some of the deprivation that some children are going to face through the cost of living crisis and a lack of food uh, and heating and clothing, bless them. Um, and we've, we've spoken to the staff extensively about that, about being alive and alert to it. But again, through the, the systems we have, the, the warm welcome at the start of the day, it may well be similar in your school, but our year groups come through set entrance points into the school are welcomed by pastoral and senior staff at the start of the day. Every pupil is, you know, has a good morning, a welcome as they come in. But it's also a way of us being able to check. You know, it's, it's mid-December, mid it's snowing, and two children come in without a jacket. What's that about? It's minus five. Something is awry here. Your spidey senses kick in as a leader to be able to pick that up. And again, part of our systems allow us to do that quite easily, whereas a in a school where you perhaps haven't got that kind of centralised type approach, it's quite easy to miss that. It's those, it's the constant conversations, isn't it? And widening it that circle of awareness so yeah. everybody feels a part of it and that they understand the nature of the landscape that they're in. And, you know, as you've mentioned earlier, things like roll call mean that mm. you, a member of staff, sees that student every day, just that checking on equipment and yeah. uniform is really, really powerful in telling it a story. Is. So, oh, this is, I'm, I'm loving this a bit. So, <laughs> I think we're very much in tune, aren't we, the line <laughs> we are, in terms of how things should be done. Of how precious your time is. So, Dean, I am going to suggest that I bring you in now, that if you were to have um, what, what your takeaways might be from the discussion or for or for people to consider and the reflections it might be one it might be that there are a couple but it's just helpful to to sort of round off the session and then we'll have a, a few minutes after with your with yourself and, and Dave. well with, with my other hat on in the trust positive impact center i'm going to contact you after to come and see that one that's definitely more than well more than well um i think the one thing you've ignited now is around 
what's coming this winter and just making sure that when I'm talking to our trust safeguard lead that we've got that on our radar. I think that's a really, really important thing. And then I think it goes back to, I think your phrase, that it comes from the mothership. And, you know, I think in the schools where we've had our biggest transformation, it's got to come from that single person and they've got to be with their team, with deputies assistants. If it's not been driven by that person, it doesn't happen. And, you know, we took on a very challenging school, you'll, you'll be aware of, and I was part of that team and it was all you talk about is behaviour, all you ever talk about, but it makes a massive, massive difference. And I think that reaffirms to me what we've done is right because it's 70 miles down the road and the same things of good practice happening. So I think it's just the repetition, the recalibration are just, just there. That's it for me, Reed. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Dean. It's been, I'm hugely grateful to you for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. And, and Sam, well, I'd love to get you back at another time. Dave and I would as well. It just, You're very welcome. These, because these conversations are so important. And as Dave yeah. mentioned earlier, it's something that because we're quite curriculum based in the work we've done previously, mm. we don't want that to influence too much the our unintentional bias over the things that we look at and the aspects we talk about because this is hugely important as you said mm. if there's if there's one thing we could do is keeping our students safe uh, above all else yeah. and what you provided in your book with with the manual and the, the language and the steps and the support to enable others to have to be more confident in having conversations about it is incredibly powerful because it means that that influence spans beyond what you've been able to do within your culture, within the culture of your school and your community and, and how that um, ripples out to, to just go into other corners and, and other classrooms and people's shelves and, and that they can pull upon for individual teachers, for schools and for trusts and, and, and people like ourselves to have those conversations. So hugely grateful. And I know, I know Dave will want to say a few things as well. So thank you so much again, Sam. We really thank appreciate you. it. Pleasure. Oh, and, and yeah, it's just been absolutely brilliant to to learn because, as you say, we've got that unconscious bias where we've been making the choices about which books are our, our priorities. But um, just watching um, the the transformation in, in our academy at the moment and, and trying to understand where the success is coming from, um, it needs um, somebody sometimes just to to really sort of spell it out. Um, we I'm, I'm looking at the classes, I'm looking at the corridors, I'm thinking, God, this has really changed. I remember saying to a colleague. Um, only last week. What is it? What is it that's made made this change? Because it feels like a lot of the same things are being said. It feels like a lot of the, the, the same routines are there. And, and what is making this so good so quickly? Um, and uh, and so I, I've got my little takeaway here of how you set out and um, setting the values and the norms um, and set the culture to do this. Learning the routines um, and having clarity around those routines. Explaining to staff why they're using them. Um, then um, to depersonalize. The idea of embedding the change. The first few days are really successful, but how do you embed it? How do you keep that going? And that repetition through the language that you use and the consistency and the microscripts, and then the, the health and safety and the safeguard, and of course being sort of the the um, the, the thing that trumps all else, making sure a safety on any any consideration of that learning. We need to keep the students safe. Um, and then how do you sort of build that culture? Then um, again, just really spelling it out walk in the school I've, I've seen um now our head teacher in my classroom so many times is to 
but I haven't really tweaked that this is what's making the culture what it is. And um, it's just sort of, you know, it's, it's that penny drop moment. Um, but it's um, the culture of error um, to come in and, and I know that if I've made an error, it's okay. And um, and, um, and I've had those similar conversations with that about, so, so tell me about some snags from senior leadership. Um, and then um, the line which really has set the tone, which we've talked about today as well, coming from the mothership, um, what um, the behaviour is ours, we will own it as a senior team, we want you to be able to get on and teach, so so the behaviour is ours, and I don't want anybody to, to have that sort of worry or concern, and, and it's just that though, it's just sort of, you know, connected it all together and made me realise really sort of why, why what we're doing at the moment is, is being successful and and when we talk a lot of this book club as well we talk a lot about um the the action research and, and where that evidence base is and and we're, we're really interested in evidence informed mm. in practice and, and i think the evidence came from from the progress eight scores today that that, that that is what says that this works isn't it um the the, the results yeah. we talked about um in, in the session today just show that that these um Sort of systems within within that warm approach and getting to know your students um, really can have a, a positive, powerful effect. So, so I've learned a huge amount today, Sam. Thank you so much, and I hope other Pleasure. people have too. But but it's been so so good to talk to you, and, and just we really, really really do appreciate the generosity of people like yourself just coming and giving us that time so that we can learn um, for for nothing. Um, you just come and talk to us, and and we get so much from that, and, and we're, we're incredibly grateful. So thank you, Sam. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Apologies, I'm squatting in a school at the moment. On the oh, <laughs> oh, thank you very you. much. Thank you very See much, later. everybody. Uh, I'll, we are two minutes over. My sincerest apologies, and I'll end the. Thanks, Sam. There. I'll be in touch. Thank you. Please do. Please.